Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The kick ahead. And Dufty's chasing it. folks and welcome to episode 150 of the Red V podcast. Jack Clifton behind the mic this afternoon to guide you through everything in the in regards to the mighty St. George Illawarra Dragons. We're also going to play you part four of the Missing Rings documentary. We join the story at the beginning of 1993 as the St. George Dragons attempt to get back to another grand final. Hope you're all doing well wherever you're located uh, across Sydney, across New South Wales, across Australia and maybe even across the world. Thanks so much for tuning in once more to the Red V podcast. It's a Quite incredible for us to, or for me to sit here after 150 episodes and, and think where it all began of just a little idea of thinking the Dragons didn't have a podcast and, and just wanting to uh, jump into that space and, and, and update fans on, on what was happening and talk about what I believe is the, is the best rug, rugby league club of the world. It might not have been uh, easy uh, over the last couple of years with some of the performances we've seen on the field, but yeah, still have a lot of faith in, in, in the club and what they're going to do in the future. I want to thank a special thank to, thanks to all you fans. You've been uh, so immense over the, uh, the two and a half, almost three years that, that we've done this podcast through the, uh, the early days to... Um, 
um, when we had uh, Johnny co-hosting and now with Curtis. We really appreciate the, the engagement we get from you guys, the comments, um, even if you don't necessarily agree with something that we say. Um, most of you say it in a pretty respectful way and we can have a discussion and, and do really appreciate you you supporting it because the podcast doesn't really go anywhere without you uh, from, from day one. We've been really appreciative of all the fan support we've got and it's uh, yeah, something that, uh, that myself and I, I know I probably speak for Curtis a bit as well that we look forward to doing it every Tuesday afternoon, every Tuesday evening, even throughout the off-season. Uh, we have a, a lot of time, a lot of good fun and, and talking time and talking uh, about uh, about the Mighty Dragons. So yeah, a big thank you to you. Just wanted to, to jump in at the, the beginning of the podcast and Make sure I thank the fans because uh, you guys have been uh, been great, and we're we're, we're only it's only the beginning. Um, it might have been 150 episodes, but we're keen for plenty more, and uh, one of those uh, is going to continue tonight as we have a, a really good uh, podcast episode for you. Well, uh, jump into your dragons news and updates now. Folks, not an awful lot um, going around um, with the dragons, but we'll jump in and update you and tell you what's happening around Dragons HQ. <laughs> Well, the news that has uh, been, uh, I guess, talked about by a lot of Dragons fans the last couple of days has been that of uh, Cody Ramsey. So he's battling quite a serious illness um, that uh, potentially could force him to give up rugby league. Well, that's at least what Fox Sports um, are writing um, in the article that they uh, released yesterday. So the uh, 22-year-old fullback, he spent the past fortnight in hospital after being diagnosed with also, I don't, I don't think I'm saying this right, ulcerative colitis um, and also may require surgery. So the disease basically uh, causes inflammation and ulcers on the bowel and digestive tract. Um, and it's often caused by an immune system malfunction. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's really tough on, on poor Cody. I know he's really highly valued within the club, but also by the club's fans um, as well. Um, initially thought it was just a bit of a bug, and then he went and ran nine and a half kilometers in, in the uh, the uh, arduous preseason training the Dragons are, are doing. Um, and then uh, it didn't uh, it didn't work from from there. And, and there's still a bit of, I guess, uh, conjecture about, um, is he going to need surgery? Is he going to be fit for the beginning of the season? Um, does that open the door for Tyrell Sloan to be uh, the number one? Uh, but they are saying at the moment that uh, he is he does seem to be uh, progressing fairly well at the moment. Um, and uh, yeah, they're hopeful that he will be back um, in the new year. I know he's got his mum, a really supportive mum that kind of made social media um, uh, buzz, didn't she, when he made his debut against Canberra down in Wollongong. He scored a couple of tries. She was jumping up and down and, um, yeah, obviously a, a great character and a great supporter of Cody. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's tough for him at the moment. Um, he faces at least another two weeks in hospital and he's being treated with a government-funded drug called uh, Infliximab, uh, which apparently costs $12,000 per injection and takes two hours to inject each dose. So it's been pretty, pretty tough. And uh, we are hearing that uh, he has had a lot of support, most uh, notably from head coach Anthony Griffin's been texting him every day and uh, yeah, staying in contact with him. So good to see the support there from the coaching staff as well. And us here at the Red V Podcast, we wish all the best to, to Cody. We hope this isn't anything serious. We hope he doesn't have to have surgery and uh, that um, he, he is all fighting fit in the new year. He can have an enjoyable Christmas and we can see him um, out there in the number one jersey uh, for, for the Dragons next year, or at least in some capacity uh, for the Dragons in season 2022. Uh, elsewhere in Dragons news, we did get an update from Ryan Webb. Those, uh, those uh, Dragons members um, would have got the email Email. I know um, a few people have been circulating on social media um, as well, um, but uh, yeah, he gave his um, update uh, to the club. He was fairly, um, 
uh, fairly positive in, in the way that he was talking about the club. He, he spoke about Ben Cray, Genevieve Gordon and Martin Newman uh, moving into the director's role and also being part of the board and, and thanked uh, the service of, of Craig Young, Andrew Gordon um, and also um, also Peter Black. Um, he, he speaks a little bit about the um, the first grade setup. Um, they've got 26 players signed to their top 30 along with four development players and, and 12 train and trialers. So um, went on to say they had plenty of, of good salary cap space available um, and they are remaining in discussions with a, with a couple of players to try and bolster that squad. Went on to talk glowing about NRLW and also the pathways uh, of which Russell Aitken and Willie Talawa are currently being being run and also touched on the Red V membership and and, and also the um, the community. So I'm sure that, uh, yeah, um, they would like things to improve a little bit more than what we've seen last year, especially on the field, but but certainly off the field, it does seem like the Dragons are, are kind of heading in the right direction. And at least financially, um, there is uh, there is some some good news there for, for fans of the Red V and, and, and fans of the St. George Illawarra Football Club. So we have plenty of uh, uh, positive things ahead there for the Red V. And that pretty much wraps up all of our Dragons news and updates, but it wouldn't be a Dragons news and updates section. It wouldn't be a Red V podcast section if we didn't uh, jump on and to ask you guys who... Uh, you think is going to be the who am I for this week? Now we've obviously had some uh, uh, some curly questions we've thrown at you guys uh, in the past. We've given you some easier ones. Well, this one's probably uh, somewhere in the middle. Personally, I think uh, it, it's it's uh, a bit more of a difficult one. But I know there's uh, plenty of rugby league nerds and plenty of dragons nerds out there that may not uh, may not agree. But the player that we chose for this week really only played a handful of games for the St George Illawarra Dragons. He uh, grew up in Camden in New South. South Wales and was a host of many young players that made their debut for the St. George Illawarra Dragons in 2003, probably a year that get gl- gets glossed over a little bit. But I think in terms of the history of the club, it's a pretty important one. When you look at Nathan Brown coming in as coach at just, uh, I think, 29 years of age, he was the youngest NRL coach um, at the time. Um, and then players uh, like uh, this particular player and, and obviously the likes of, of Ashton Sims and, and John Wilshere and now, some of those guys, along with some experienced players. But this speaker player came into the side at the age of 20 in 2003. He only spent two seasons at the Dragons. He played 12 games and scored five tries, uh, predominantly playing uh, on the wing, but also um, filling in in the centres. He then went on to play 48 games for the Canberra Raiders for three seasons in 2005 to 2007 and ended his career. Probably the mainstay of his career was over in, uh, in the UK with the London Broncos. He spent six seasons uh, with the Broncos for 109 tries, 36 goals, and a total of 169 uh, first-grade appearances and 56 uh, tries. So um, he was uh, a rookie in 2003 uh, for uh, for the Dragons, um, and uh, yeah, was able to cross for cross the stripe for two tries in his inaugural 2003 season. He, ironically enough, made his debut against his future club, the Canberra Raiders, uh, in a round three 2003 clash on the wing. He scored a try and also scored tries against the Penrith Panthers in round 21 2003 uh, against the Param- Matter Eels in round 11, 2004, and then back-to-back uh, tries uh, in games against the Cowboys, round 13, 2004, and round 14, 2004, before he kind of was, uh, I guess, slowly phased out of that uh, that side. He also had a brother that also played first grade and also played uh, first, gra- first grade at the Dragons. 
Um, and maybe that's the clue that uh, that might give you a little bit edge of who you think uh, it might be. We'll announce that uh, at the end of the podcast. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to continue our podcast documentary series, uh, part four of the Missing Rings documentary continuing tonight. Uh, we're now, I guess, jumping in our time machine, going to the start of 1993. So the Dragons are, uh, I guess, quickly trying to put that 1992 grand final defeat behind them. They uh, shocked many, but critics and, uh, and fans alike are still... Uh, casting a black marker through the Dragons for 1993. That's even despite the signings uh, of the likes of, uh, of Graham Bradley, uh, the uh, the improvement, the likes of Nathan Brown, um, Anthony Mundine, uh, Jason Stevens, all being part of that first grade setup uh, that has bolstered the Dragons playing stocks uh, for the 1993 season. Here about the pre-season, the build-up and, and what the players are feeling like uh, heading into 1993 and also as they get into the regular season and again, like they did for many times under Brian Smith over the years, uh, surprise the critics and prove plenty of people wrong. Part four of the Missing Rings documentary coming up next here on the Red V Podcast. This is a Red V Podcast documentary bringing you the story of the Missing Rings, detailing the 1992 and 1993 seasons of the St. George Dragons, rising from the ashes of the struggles of the late 1980s to rebuilding the most famous club in rugby league to its rightful place. We hope you enjoy this five-part documentary series on an era that was hugely successful at the St. George Dragons and ultimately restored pride back into the Red V. This is The Missing Rings. Part 4 1993, a new dawn. As 1993 dawned, the Dragons were determined to back atop the New South Wales Rugby League. What they felt was their rightful place. It was quite incredible to think that since the great run of the 1950s and 60s, the Saints had won just two crowns in 1977 and 1979. They thought they were the real deal in 1993, however. Here's Brad Mackay giving his thoughts on the St George side heading into the 1993 season. In 93, we thought we were the real deal. You know, Like I said, we had another couple of players play Origin and, and they started to have new levels of belief. Um, we, we, we ourselves as a team had a new level of belief. Prop Tony Priddle also had similar sentiments, believing the confidence consumed from 1992 had flowed over into 1993, with belief growing for the Red V. Camaraderie from 92 just grew into 93. So, yeah, I think there was a, just an air about the team that we were very confident we could do things that you know, we couldn't have done the year before. We actually proved that, right? 1992, despite being a superb season and proving critics wrong for large portions of the season, still ultimately fell short of what St George was all about. Premierships. Would 1993 be that watershed year for the Red and Whites? St George certainly felt so. Even before the season began, critics were taking out that red marker and putting a line through St George. Surely 1992 was just a surprise packet season, wasn't it? They wouldn't be able to do it again, surely. 
every team in the competition would know their tricks. There's no Michael Beattie or Peter Coyne. Adding to this was bookmakers putting St George at long odds to make the semi-finals and even longer odds, 20 to 1, to make the grand final. Once again, those articles would be taped to dressing room doors, windows and bathroom stalls. It would be motivation that would drive the Saints in 93. In terms of the playing roster for 1993, the St George side had a familiar look about it, littered with a few new faces. Veteran captain Mick Beattie retired at the end of the 1992 season after the grand final loss. There had been much conjecture about Beattie's future and whether he would play on for a further season. However, during the off-season, the 32-year-old pulled up stumps and moved into the corporate world as a real estate agent in the Sutherland Shire. Beattie's departure would not only leave a hole in his customary centre position that he had held since his first grade debut in 1981, but Saints would also miss his leadership. Thankfully, fellow experienced campaigner Mick Potter would take the reins as captain for 1993. If Beattie's departure left the biggest hole, Peter Coyne's departure would leave a similar size hole at Cogra. Coyne had been the hero for St George in the semi-final defeat of Newcastle where his field goal with 15 minutes to go secured the Dragons' passage into the grand final qualifier. His astute kicking game, solid defence, football intelligence and clubman attitude had been invaluable to St George over the last two seasons. Unfortunately, Coyne and the Dragons had been unable to agree on new terms and he went to the UK with a new team in the form of Castleford. Veteran halfback Ivan Henjak was another noted departure from St George and the New South Wales Rugby League with a career that epitomised longevity. Henjak ended his career where it started after coming through as a young player in the St George system in 1981. In a career which spanned 12 seasons, Henjak played 183 games and was most well known for his exploits in getting Canberra to their first ever grand final in 1987. In 11 appearances with the Saints in 1992, his wisdom and guidance for young halfbacks Noel Goldthorpe and Damian Chapman were integral to their development. Such was Henjak's impact that he would move into coaching after his playing career ended with a short stint in the UK. Elsewhere, St George lost young players Brandon Pearson, Matthew Fuller and Steve Henderson to rival clubs in the 1992-1993 off-season. The Dragons, and more specifically Brian Smith, were astute in the transfer market and were able to well and truly cover the losses of the players departing. Former Penrith centre Graham Bradley made the move across after spending the 1991-1992 campaign with Castleford in the English Super League. As St George Jr. with the Oatley RSL club, Bradley had a close working relationship with Brian Smith dating back to his school days where Smith had been his teacher. Smith signed him when he was coach at Illawarra and he would play under Smith later on in his career at the Bradford Bulls after both had departed St George. A powerful ball runner who was a physical tackler, Bradley immediately added class to the centre three-quarter position after the retirement of Michael Beattie. The other major signing made by Smith was that of Phil Blake. Blake was somewhat of a journeyman in the Winfield Cup. He had started his career with Manly but would also have stints at Souths, North Sydney, Canberra and the Auckland Warriors in a career that spanned over 300 games. 
He was seen as a straight swap for Peter Coyne, but would have pressure from Tony Smith, who had to bide his time in reserve grade for large parts of the 1992 campaign. Blake's utility value would also add a different dimension to the St George attack. Blake played every position across the back line in his career in rugby league. At times during the 1993 season, he would fill in at lock, centre, fullback and hooker, to just name a few. The Dragons' investment, both financially and time-wise, in the local juniors would pay huge dividends for 1993 and beyond. Despite the disappointment of grand final defeat in 1992 for the senior squad, St George's lower grade and junior teams had been excelling. The SG Ball team secured the premiership in 1992, which featured future star Anthony Mundine. Young hooker Nathan Brown had been equally impressive as Rake for the Jersey Flake side who had made the semi-finals in their competition. Whilst firebrand forward Gordon Tallis was developing into a player of some quality after being promoted to the grand finalist President Cup side late in 1992. He was joined by Jason Stevens, who would jump between President's Cup and Reserve Grade in 1992 and would have a huge 1993 campaign in the senior squad. With the signings made by Smith and his staff and the talent of juniors coming through, there was an air of confidence and swagger held by St George heading into the pre-season of 1993. The Dragons' pre-season end up being one of their more successful pre-season campaigns over the last few seasons. They officially open their campaign with a hard-fought and close 10 points to 8 victory over traditional rival Souths in the annual Charity Shield at the Sydney Football Stadium. It was something of a new dawn for Saints, who picked up their first Charity Shield win since 1987. It would also start a trend that would see St George win the next five clashes in the annual pre-season fixture. The Dragons then travelled out to regional New South Wales for the Tui's pre-season cup. In what had become something of a carnival atmosphere, the pre-season competition went to regional towns where country folk could see their Winfield Cup stars in action. St George started the campaign with a plucky 19-10 victory over Eastern Suburbs in the qualifying round. This set up another clash with Canberra, a side that Saints would have plenty to do with during 1993. Unfortunately, like had been the norm during the late 1980s into the 1990s, the Green Machine simply had too much firepower for the Red V as they rolled out of Nambucca heads with an 18 points to 8 win. Stewart, Daly, Meninga, Daly on the run round, Belcher cuts back inside, tries to go up the centre, Young Brown and Coyne shut him down. 25 metres out from the line, Canberra probing now. Long ball from Stewart, finds Pongia, now Hoppy. Hoppy gets around Donnelly, pursued by Bradley, they won't catch him! Oh, tremendous effort! Barnhill plays at 30 metres out on the last tackle. Goldthorpe, long ball for Elliott, they must score! Players left and right, Blake, Blake puts it down! This is a beautiful long pass in Goldthorpe, pass it out wide, Mel Meninga the player of fault there, Elliott into a huge hole, Support both sides, and very easy, Phil Blake's a great finisher. Elliot for Goldthorpe. Smith, Goldthorpe, Goldthorpe, puts it down. St George, very smart football. They threw this ball out wide, back on the inside. The camera plays, hadn't read it, didn't come across. There's a big hole there. Steve Waller's got there too late. Give me a call, somebody. 
three metres out from the line. Saints leading by two. We're in the final quarter. Stewart pops it up onto the chest there of Pongia. Gets it back to beat Fritz. And Fritz, he puts it down. Osborne, little ball for Fritz. And the big man gallops into space. Mullins is with him. Mullins still going. Up to the 30. They won't catch him. He's going to the line. Mullins scores a great camera try. Simple missed tackle. Missed tackle by Piddle. Eight on eight. And away goes Fritz. Offloaded just at the right time to Mullins. And Mullins did all the rest. Another bad miss there by Potter. And away goes. Look at the eyes. He knows where he wants to go. In a few bright spots for the Saints, both Noel Goldthorpe and new recruit Phil Blake crossed the line and looked threatening in the loss. St George had their final hit out during the preseason with a 14 points to 10 loss to Newcastle as Jason Donnelly and Scott Goulet found the try line. It was a disjointed performance at times but gained the Dragons some much favourable match fitness and confirmed to Brian Smith who would be in his starting 13 come round one against Canberra. It was a case of as you were heading into the opening round of the 1993 Winfield Cup campaign as St George and Canberra met again less than three weeks after their initial meeting. Both sides had played their cards close to their chests in their most recent twoies pre-season clash at Nambucca Heads. Canberra took out the pre-season trophy by defeating Western Suburbs, but it came with a big cost as star halfback Ricky Stewart picked up a groin injury. This meant he failed to take his place against the Dragons with young player Steve Stone in his place. Meanwhile, Brian Smith had settled on his team and it looked similar to the sides that he had trotted out throughout 1992. Ten of the starting 13 that had played in the 1992 Grand Final lined up whilst new signing Graham Bradley was in the centre spot opposite Mark Coyne. Elsewhere... Andrew Walker got first crack at the vacant 5'8 role despite pressure from the more experienced Tony Smith and Phil Blake. St George hadn't beaten Canberra since 1985 when they won at Seifert Oval. It had been a run that had stretched to 13 games. Could the Saints defy belief and upset the bookmakers in the opening game of the season? Now Michael Potter leads the Dragons out. Opening game of the 1993 Winfield Cup. Goldthorpe puts it into the end goal. for Ricky Walford. That's great play by the Saints. They're under pressure, down to 12 men. And they've come up with the first try, the, the Winfield Cup goal. Thorpe. He saw Walford out wide. Walford called for that. And Goldthorpe put one through and Walford had too much speed for Mullins. That's a great St. George try. Goldthorpe shows it for Barnhill, finds Potter. Potter shut down, 10 metres out. Mackay goes back to a wide blind side. Tries to beat the compressed defence. Goulet away. Mackay makes a magnificent save. Now, I think he may have given this try. He's asking his touch judges. Yes. Talk about a committee meeting before tries are awarded these days. Brad Mackay has been awarded a try for St George. Goldthorpe. Tierney's out wide. Gets the hands free. Back for Goldthorpe. Now it's Priddle. Five gone. Collins for Goldthorpe. Goes for the drop goal. Looked as though it was okay and the hand goes up. So a further point goes on that St George total. Wrapped up by Croker on five. 
11-2, very close to half-time. Again, Goldthorpe goes for the drop goal, and again it looks okay, McCallum, he acknowledges. So Goldthorpe picks up another drop goal, and St George coming up towards half-time, leading by 12 points to two. And these are good tactics by St George. That came off a Canberra player, back into the hands of Bradley. Bradley away, they dive for the line. McCallum, this time, let's watch him, he's given the try. Tony Smith is the try scorer. Dawn Hoppy. Well, he hasn't moved in the back. Now Meninga, you see a, a prone body laying flat as I Canberra go it, wide. I think it's Belcher. It is Belcher. Canberra now, they turn it on. Mullins, the villain a few moments ago. Can he be the hero? Yes, he will be. Five to go. He's home. Try for Canberra. Look at the crowd. They love the boys here. Barnhill bustles and makes it down to the 10 metres. Collins a dummy half. Goldthorpe with it. Tierney runs inside. They come outside. Big Bradley gets a pass away. Did they get it down? That's the question. And he's given the try for Donnelly. So St George striking straight back. Oh, once again, it came from the Canberra mistake. Beautiful play here once again from Goldthorpe. He's had a big game. The inside decoy drew a couple. A bad, simple missed tackle there by Stone it was. And Donnelly in the corner. 20 points to eight in favour of the Dragons. 22 points to eight. More convincing wins you, you seldom see. Dragon supporters have come down to the national capital for two big events this weekend, I guess, but this was their main event, and they take the prize home with them. The Dragons had done it the hard way after Andrew Walker was sent off within the first 20 minutes. Walker had already been warned once by referee Graham Annesley for a high shot, and his swinging arm on Darren Fritz no more than 10 minutes later gave the referee no other choice but to march the talented 5'8". From there, St George surprisingly sprung to life. Brad Mackay shifted from lock into the 5'8 position, and it seemed it was Canberra were the ones with the one-man deficit. The Dragons chased, hustled, and out-enthused Canberra, who looked disorganised in attack and were only able to post one try on the night. Noel Goldthorpe was at his organising best, while his general kicking game was on song from the opening minutes. Brad Mackay, hard-running Kiwi winger Jason Donnelly and Mick Potter all had splendid gains for the Saints who stunned the Raiders fans in attendance and got the Dragons' 1993 Winfield Cup campaign off to the perfect start. The Dragons then made it two from two in front of their loyal home fans at Cogra in round two action against Balmain. The Saints avenged last year's come-from-behind defeat at home against Balmain which triggered a three-match slide. This time, however, Saints were solid from start to finish. The defensive resolve that became a focal point of their charge to the semi-finals last year was again on show. They turned away the talented Balmain side time and time again, often frustrating them into errors. Phil Blake was superb in the pivot role, scoring his first try for the club before being sent off by referee Bill Harrigan while powerful back rower Scott Goulet had another of his trademark games which he capped off with a try. Excitement buzzed around Cogra when young Nathan Brown made his way onto the field. Brown, a product of McLean in northern New South Wales, came on as a late replacement for Wayne Collins and looked dangerous around the play-the-ball area. 
Along with Jason Stevens, Gordon Tallis and Anthony Mundine, there is excitement around the talented crop of juniors coming through for the Red V. The good news continued for St George after they re-signed towering second rower Scott Goulet until the end of the 1994 season. Goulet would be a vital cog for the Saints during 1993. Next up was the local derby against the Cronulla Sharks. The Sharks had struggled mightily last season and that had continued into 1993 with the boys from the Shire winless after two games. Meanwhile, St George were looking to continue to take their opportunities and keep itself perched atop the competition. Young halfback Damian Chapman was given an opportunity at fullback after an early injury to Mick Potter. Chapman, normally a halfback, held himself in check and made no mistakes in a solid performance. While the young brigade of Jason Stevens, Nathan Brown and Gordon Tallis joined him in the side. It was a side mixed with youth and experience as the Saints took the bragging rights in the local derby by the tune of 24 points to 12. It wasn't a great performance by any stretch of the imagination, but proved what a champion side St George were. After trailing by 12 points to 2 at the 30-minute mark, the side seized the opportunities in the second stanza to gain a valuable Winfield Cup victory. Saints' dream run continued, but they had to do it the hard way against a revitalised Parramatta side on a hot Western Sydney's day in Round 4 action. Parramatta had been the whipping boys during 1992, finishing second last with just six wins. However, in 1993, they had turned things around with some young players such as Michael Butner, Cameron Blair and Scott Mann putting the Eels on the map during the early portion of 1993. It was a low-scoring affair at Parramatta Stadium as the Dragons kept their 100% record intact. Welcome now to the Parramatta Stadium and it's attracted a very big crowd this game between the undefeated home side, the Parramatta Eels, and their opponents today, the St George Dragons. Flanagan acting hard. Galbraith, first receiver. Now Blair. 25 out. Galbraith again. Speechly is Parramatta now. They probe for the opening. It comes for Mann. Back for Butner. And Butner gets the first try. Beautiful stuff by the Eels. And the Blue and Gold Army goes up as one. For some George players just taking a little bit of time to get in position to become involved in this attack. Barnhill gets his arms free, puts Big Bradley into a bit of space. Inside comes Donnelly. Donnelly goes wrong. Straight away from Mann. Bartolo comes from behind. Donnelly goes for the line again and makes it. Donnelly scores for the Saints. Priddle, 35 out from the line. Goulet, Goulet, brushes them away, gets the pass away, Mackay backs up, puts it down, and Harrigan will give a try. Oh, that was Scott Goulet at his brilliant best. Swatted them away like flies, brushed through, and Mackay supports. Five gone, can the Eels do it here? Dunn runs to the blind. Now, Bartolo, straight through. Oh, St. George. They open right up. And Bartolo, or Bartolo, whatever his name is, his name rolls is. in for a drive. Hardy. Offloading. Coin. Coin brushes away. Ericsson's after him, so is Mann. Walford comes to Mann. Not held. 
to St George Cry, I believe. Yes. Five gone. Goldthorpe is on the blind side. He's with it now. The siren in the background. Harrigan acknowledges that. The ball goes over the touchline. And St George have defeated Parramatta by 14 points to 12 in front of 23,000 people. Saints remain undefeated in the Winfield Cup after four rounds. St George had edged out Parramatta with a sterling defensive display coupled with astute finishing. Ricky Walford's try at the end to seal the win showed the confidence and improvement of Saints to pull games out of the fire. After a superb 1992 campaign, 1993 was gearing up to be even more impressive. One of the many skills that Brian Smith brought to St George was his ability to get every player to focus on and do their job. Winning each little battle would more times than not ensure a win. Dragon centre Rex Turp remembers the little tactical nuances that helped players individually, but also as a team. Yeah, you look back at, say, our list and you compare that to some of the lists that were around at the time, mm. and there's no way that St George had the best list on paper, but... Brian broke things down with, you know, just worry about this little battle that you're going to get involved in at the at the play the ball. Just worry about that little battle you're going to get involved in that's run off the play the ball. Um, and he he tried, and which I think was very effective. He he broke everything down in just a, into little battles that you can win. Don't worry about you know whether you're marking Willie Khan or you're up against a, a Steve Renoff or uh, you know one of these international players do you reckon do you reckon you can win that little battle between you and him can you be the first bloke up off the ground can you be the last bloke that you know to, to come out mm. of here or can you be the first bloke so all of a sudden you think well i'm not thinking about the game overall i'm just thinking about if i can win that little battle mm. i'll do the job that's required for the um for the team and that was that was the strength of brian it was about getting you to understand well these are the little battles that you have to win on the field that'll help contribute to the side winning. And I think during those early 90s, no one was doing it better than St George. The Dragons made their best start to a season since 1985 with an emphatic win over the Penrith Panthers. St George stifled the Penrith attack, who could muster just four points all afternoon. As had been the case all season, it wasn't a flashy performance from St George, who were adding some impressive teams to their list of scalps. Penrith led early, but were ultimately overrun by the Saints, who after ironing out some kinks in their attack and defence, went on with their job impressively. Young prop Jason Stevens started his first game of the year and put in a bulldozing performance up front. A big framed lad with a sneaky offload and superb leg strength, Stevens was adding another dimension to the Dragons' forward pack. In Stevens and Priddle, the Dragons had a great one-two punch up front. Neil Tierney coming off the bench added further depth and would cause headaches for the opposition forward packs across the league. Elsewhere, Mark Coyne put in a class performance in the centre position, scoring a try and leading from the front. For the people that are written off the Dragons in 1993, they were quickly wiping the egg off their faces with the Red V 5-0 and a top of the Winfield Cup. Arguably St George's biggest test of the 1993 Winfield Cup campaign came against local rivals Canterbury as both sides headed into round six. Both clubs were undefeated and looking to continue their good early season form. It was a throwback to the 1980s where along with Parramatta, Saints and the Dogs had some ring-dinger battles.
most famously culminating in the 1985 Grand Final. Fast forward eight years, and it was on again. St George remained unchanged from their last start win, as close to 23,000 packed in to the Belmore Sports Ground. It was a bruising encounter that was only settled after a Jason Donnelly bust late on. His inspired run from dummy half set up Mark Coyne for the winner, and in the meantime had New Zealand selectors looking at him for a potential call-up. For the fourth time in six games, the Dragons had come from behind to win. Coach Smith wasn't phased by it, but the nosy journalists were. They didn't think a side that had premiership aspirations should be giving up the types of leads that St George had. It had been really blown out of proportion though. There had only been one game where Saints had fallen behind by more than a converted try. That was when they played Cronulla and trailed 12-2 after the first 30 minutes. Most fixtures, it had been a four or six point deficit, which was commonplace in the Winfield Cup in the early 1990s. Again, Saints would have to prove the doubters wrong. 5'8", Tony Smith put in another graphing performance to complement the flashy skills of Noel Goldthorpe, Mark Coyne and Ricky Walford. Much had been spoken about in regards to Smith, the brother of head coach Brian Smith, with fans feeling there was some case of nepotism with his involvement within the team. Despite being brothers, there was a large gap in age between the two and Tony had revealed that his teammates probably see more of his brother than he does. His mind was firmly on doing a job for his team. On top of the ladder with a 6-0 record, St George coach Brian Smith was an incredibly happy man. The fans on the terraces at Cogra were equally delighted and had their first shot at redemption with the visit of the Brisbane Broncos to Cogra Oval. With the grand final defeat still firmly in their minds, the Saints could bury some demons with a win over the Broncos. Brisbane had made an inauspicious start to the season and certainly hadn't been at their best. Fans flocked to Cogra as more than 17,000 paraded in, hopeful of seeing justice getting served. A sea of red and white jerseys, jumpers, scarves and flags could be seen a mile wide as the two combatants came to blows. Saints fought hard for the 80 minutes, but just couldn't come out on top of a fast-finishing Brisbane side in the 20 points to 14 loss. One criticism that had been levelled at the Dragons, and more specifically Brian Smith, was his continued use of Brad Mackay at fullback and Mick Potter at lock. Yes, it had worked against the likes of Balmain and Cronulla, but Brisbane was a totally different proposition. Ian Heron scored all of St George's points with two tries and three goals, while Graham Bradley and Jason Donnelly ran hard. Steve Renoff and Alan Langer again gave Dragons fans nightmares with sterling performances as the boys in red and white were left licking their wounds. In the first of back-to-back split rounds, Saints accounted for Newcastle in a tense struggle at Cogra by 16 points to 12 in the following week. Heron's goal kicking was invaluable, landing four from five, while Neil Turney's bulldozing try got Saints a valuable win. Their form had been inconsistent at best over the last fortnight, and the win against Newcastle epitomised that. The Dragons had skipped out to a 16 points in their lead, but seemingly fell asleep in the second half as the Novocastrians made a comeback. Some brutal defence late in the match saw the Dragons get the win. This set up another blockbusting encounter with Illawarra, this time at Steelers Stadium. The two sides would resume hostilities after two cracking semi-finals during 1992. The fans wouldn't be left short change as for the third time in succession, the game went right down to the wire in an absorbing clash of rugby league. High tackle's gone. Simon goes for a drop goal. Doesn't look too bad. 
It's a goal. It's a field goal for John Simon from a long way out. 40 metres out. Illawarra leads St George 1 0. 8 metres out. Brown from dummy half. He might have used the referee. He's under the post and it's a try. Try for young Nathan Brown. Right under the post. Heron taking a penalty shot. 15 out, not too far off centre. Strikes it straight between the uprights. So St George goes further in front. Eight points to one. McGregor. Callaway. Piccinelli. Riolo up in the line. Fritz tries to step inside Mackay. McGregor. Piccinelli. Neil, there's the siren. Neil goes for a desperate kick and chase. It doesn't come off. St. George wins. St. George defeating Illawarra 9-5 to go back to the top of the league ladder. The form of Nathan Brown had been encouraging. He was a star against Illawarra, taking home the game ball in a terrific performance. It also kept regular hooker Wayne Collins on his toes. Collins would need some fine form to usurp the talented 18-year-old Rake. A surprise packet North Sydney side stood in front of the Dragons on a brisk Friday night at Cogra in round 10. The Bears were sitting in second place and on the back of some creative play from Noel Solomon, Greg Florimo and David Fairley were dispatching sides week in and week out. It was a low-scoring and dour game at times, with the Dragons held trialless at home for the only time this season. North Sydney's defence stifled the Dragons, who couldn't get out of second gear all game and were promptly beaten by nine points to two. Halligan. Can he kick it? Looks OK. Oh, straight between the big sticks. From Wilson, it's with Fennec. Fennec running headlong into the defence. They don't even need to work for a field goal here. Just roll it into the in-goal area. They've gone for the one-pointer. This might have to wrap it up as Halligan kicked it. Kelly loves yes, it. Yes, he has. The arm goes up. St George did their best to get their premiership hopes back on track the following week. In the two defeats, Saints had hardly disgraced themselves, losing to two teams in the top five, including the reigning premiers. In something of a novelty, both St George and Western Suburbs locked horns in the unfamiliar territory of Olympic Park, Melbourne. Melbourne would become a rugby league force in later years, but for now was just whetting their appetite for rugby league. On a typical Melbourne winter's evening, two of the Winfield Cup's most famous teams slogged it out. Could the Dragons once again re-enter the winner's circle? Gulfport. Goldthorpe, a long floating pass to Mackay. Fends away from Gillespie, taken by Langmack. They're dropping off plenty of tackles, Western Suburbs. Gooley, Gooley, slams it down. A little bit short out this way, St George. Langmack getting involved, the run around. Good oh, ball. great pass. Terry Hill, now McGarry. Western Suburbs, they've carved them up. Goldthorpe. Mackay runs the decoy. 
Goldthorpe away for Hardy. Nearly intercepted. That'll give them six more. Tellus, Tellus gets a pass away. And St. they score the try. It was a gritty performance by the Red and Whites, who had shown great resolve to bounce back from a bout of poor form. In testing conditions, it was Jason Donnelly who was the standout. The bulking winger terrorised the Magpies' edge defence with two tries and plenty more skillful runs. Brad Mackay also proved his worth to St George with a try to wrap up the victory and remind Australian selectors of his value. The style of football St George was playing far outweighed what they had served up in 1992. Communication in defence, along with silky ball skills and exciting set plays, laid the platform for some stellar performances during 1993, as Jeff Hardy reveals. And we're playing really well. And um, I think, you know, you can tell from the form that we're to, to play against really good sides and win um, and have it and be, you know, be a real set of real standard. I thought we did in, in 93 that we were strong and we defended really well, but we had the ability to catch pass mm. you know, and, and had some real skill. Brad Mackay continued his great season with some silky skills of class in his customary lock position. Mackay's skill as a ball player, as well as a ball runner, has added another dimension to the Saints, and it's no surprise when you see how he's performed in representative matches in the past for New South Wales and Australia. The win once again got the Dragons back to the top of the competition in the Winfield Cup. St George saved arguably their finest attacking performance of the season for poor old Eastern Suburbs the following week. The Dragons completely outclass East all over the park in the 46-0 demolition job. Phil Blake, who had broken back into the run-on side at 5-8, bagged a double and was a threat all afternoon. Trailing his big forwards, Blake was at his damaging best, rediscovering the form that made him a standout young half at Manly all the way back in 1982. A St George side that had lacked spark during 1992 had a bona fide attacking threat in Blake who was now keeping opposition defences on their toes each week. After starting the season as a bench utility, Blake's form was so good that he'd forced Brian Smith's hand to slot him straight into the number six jersey each week. Whilst another returning player, winger Ricky Walford, shrugged off former injuries and form struggles with a brace as well. The win opened up a six-point gap between second place and George and the chasing pack of teams outside of the top five. Confidence was brimming for St George as they began to show how stylish of a team they could be. 1992 had been a result of grinding, hard-fought and close victories. But 1993 had showcased the Dragons' skills, pace and creativity over the park. Saints marched past Gold Coast the following week by 26 points to 18 to keep their winning streak alive. It was a sloppy win at times, but Mark Coyne and Ricky Walford exuded their class to help get the Red V another win. Michael Potter leads the St George team onto the field here at Seagull Stadium. There's a lot of support here with uh, St George this afternoon. Several busloads have made their way up and they have uh, been very, very vocal in the reserve grade match this afternoon. A kick through. They regather, still going out. It comes this time to the big centre, Bradley. Bradley with his pass outside to Walford. Walford down to the corner. Easy, easy start there for St George. The kick through it was uh, straight into an opposing player. They regathered it, just went from there. Ian turned to Tierney out wide, then away to Coin. Coin looking good. He's up over the quarter line. He's only got Peacock to beat. Back inside to Blake, and Blake will cross for the try. And it looks oh so easy for St George. Clapped on the place. A little bit of a gap there for Coin. Through he went. 
set up the fullback, drew that uh, defence of his, and then sent the pass away to Blake to cross untouched. And a big lead for St George early of Tenderness. Out it goes to Collins, Goldthorpe, a long one then to Blake. Blake cuts back inside, is uh, going to be pulled to the ground of the tackle of Twist over there. After Weston initially started the tackle, this was Walford back. Oh, it's uh, picked up there by Goldthorpe. On it goes, and they keep it going. This will be a try. Collins coming around. Took it outside then from Stevens, and he'll go down for a try. Well, Jason Stevens just come back on the field. He's been on the paddock for 15 seconds. Pops a beautiful ball up. To Cook, Cook straight ahead, he's only four metres out now, a quick play the ball, sees it go across field, a twist, twist with a long one, Weston with a little kick through, flying out after it is Martin Pryor, Martin flew out after it, well-weighted kick, he's taken it in that in-goal area, touchdown for the try, and the Seagulls get their first foot on the board, George have a lead of 18 to 4. Followed him across nicely actually. And he played it forward, Blake, still going. He's up over the quarter line. Pulled down about 18 metres out now. From the play of the ball. Back over to Bradley. Bradley back the other way this time. He finds Goldthorpe uh, following up. Outside then to Barnhill. Barnhill away to Coyne. Coyne dummies, goes himself. Got away on the line from the front row in Whittington. And he's in for the first try of the second half. And all back uh, an identical start to the first half. Lead lock forward and Gill. Out it comes to Martin. Martin Fox cuts back inside. He got away from Blake. Cut back in here. Go to Hetherington and he'll score. Hetherington running around the goal coast. Got it together that time. And Hetherington is in for their second try of the match. And George have a lead of 22 points to eight. So Gill got away to Peacock. Peacock coming up over the halfway. Sends his pass away. This will be the centre Western. Western going for that corner. Will they catch him? Heron comes at him. No, he's in. Two tries in a matter of minutes. Storming back into it now. George looking for a bit of settling down here to come back into it. This is Tierney again. He won't unload it this time. One of the few occasions he hasn't been able to do that. So back it goes to Barnhill. Barnhill props. Back in over there to Hardy. Hardy to Goulet. Goulet going for the line. They can't stop him. Goulet's in for the try in the corner. The big fella going for the line. Defence of Barnhill over there, Bartram away from Dummy Half, trying to find a way through. Only a few metres out now, can Gold Coast get another one before the day's over? Push for the line, reaching out, and it is a try. Going in is Paul Dahlia, that's a try for the Gold Coast. Those uh, bad errors just let them down again. This is Criddle with it now. Criddle straight ahead, goes to ground with it. The Hooter will sound, it's all over, full-time here at Seagull Stadium. And St George have defeated the Gold Coast by 26 points to 18. This set up a cracking game against a very good Manly ringer side the following week. Manly had an impressive record in 1993, as well as some exciting backline stars with Ivan Cleary, Jack Helsgood and Jeff Toovey all playing terrific football. In a change from recent St George victories, this was an end-to-end -end clash that was closely and wholly contested that had fans right on the edge of their seats. Here come the Dragons. The skipper leading them out is fullback Michael Potter. Phil Bate winning that battle for the 5-8 spot from Tony Smith. Andrew Walker still on the injured list for St George. And Donnelly gives chase here on Jones as he puts it up on the last. Here's pressure in the in-goal area and flying is Brilliantly and scores the first try of the match. Well, that was sheer brilliance from the young fullback. Now Goldthorpe, right in front, 20 metres out. 
and hits it nicely. And two more points for St George. They bridge the gap a little. Manly still in charge, 10 points before. Got 10 minutes of play till half time. Dreadful football by St George. Early in the tackle count. Tuvi. Olgenic cuts through. Potter can't get him and Olgenic sprints away. Too much possession for Manly. Jamie Olgenic, the scorer. Just as many tackles and just as effective tackles. Coyne cuts through. Looking for support. He's got Ricky Walker there. Elskill gives chase. They won't get him. Walker's over. St George pretty much against the run of play. Manly claiming that the ball was held up. Deborah over there trying to dispute the try. But Walford diving over as Mark Coyne put him away. Back inside is Cleary. Centre field, only 30 metres out. It's Hasler. He's been busy. O'Donnell, Iroh. Takes off. Floats a beautiful pass over the top to Elskud. Walford tries to get him. He can't pull a car. Oh. And Jack Elskud scores a brilliant try. Great winger's try. Finished superbly. The pass floated out to him. He handled it beautifully to give himself a chance and then somehow managed to beat Ricky Walford and Michael Potter. Oh, there's one against, against the head. Goldthorpe's away. Goes wide. It's four against two. They must score here. Against to McCoy. On the break. In the corner. Donnelly. Has he got it down or did he lose it? In the corner. Donnelly going for it. Referee Ward checks. He awards the try. A brilliant attempt at defence by Manley. They very nearly cut it off. St George scoring, they're back within six points. Now it's the last tackle. They're only 15 metres out. Run or bomb. Goldthorpe's got it. Throws it on to Priddle. He's got to keep it alive. Priddle's away. He tries to improve it. He's over for the try. That is a beauty. He looked as if he was locked up, Tony Priddle. He went to the line. He was stopped. But there's a manly player laying on the ground. And I wonder if he was one of the tacklers. He could have been knocked cold by Priddle. It's 20 to 18, the kick to level the score. Collins tries to get a little closer. Well, they go back to him now. It's Goldthorpe in centre field. Wobbly looking kick. It's over. It's oh, over. Oh, no. Hasler complaining to the referee that the chases were impeded, I believe, was what his complaint was. But St George leads 21 to 20. Well, what a cool game this game of rugby league is, Warren. It should be Manly's points all day long. Manly have been the better side right throughout the day. Manly with a restart, and that is full time. Well, well you're right there. I can't believe that. It is cruel sometimes, and Manly have played very well, and they are very angry. Craig Hancock. I thought was going to say something to the referee. John Devereaux kicked the ball away in frustration. Oh, what a cruel game. That, that is just so cruel, Warren. I mean, Manly were by far the better side for the whole 80 minutes. I mean, it's just unbelievable. 21-20, the Dragons, the winners, on a field goal in the last half minute of play. A dubious end of the match had Manly fans and players fuming, but once again, St George had shown resilience and a never-say-die attitude to come from the dead to win. Noel Goldthorpe again underpinned his value to St George with a match-winning field goal to go with his astute kicking game and tidy goal-kicking. In the second-half fight-back, it had been the big men up front that had laid the platform for St George to get out of trouble. Tony Priddle scored the try to tie up proceedings whilst Neil Tierney was at his barnstorming best. However, high praise had to be given to fellow prop Jason Stevens. 
The Brighton Seagulls Jr. had come along in leaps and bounds during 1993 after a wretched 1992 campaign. He had played just three games out of a possible 11 to start 1992 after twice being suspended for poorly timed tackles. St George decided the best case of action would be to work on Stephen's technique. Coach Brian Smith also felt that President's Cup wasn't the right environment for Stevens and instead promoted him to the reserve grade side in the latter half of 1992. This concludes part four of The Missing Rings. Here the fifth and final installment of our podcast documentary, which sees the rise, fall, and ultimate rise again of the St. George Dragons. Hear from the players that ultimately helped restore pride and confidence back into the Red V. Hi, I'm Ben Cray, and you're listening to the Red V podcast with Jack and Johnny. Really hope you did enjoy part four of the Missing Rings documentary. The fifth and final part will be coming up next week on the podcast. Also got a two-part interview to play for you with Matt Elliott, the former assistant coach at the Dragons, a former first grader for the Dragons. Looking forward to bringing that to you in a couple of weeks as well. So some really exciting interviews that we're doing in the coming weeks here on the Red V podcast. That wraps up everything that we have for you here on episode 150 of the Red V podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether you've just tuned in tonight for the first time ever, whether this has been your 40th episode, your 50th episode, all those wonderful fans we have that have listened to all 150 episodes. Really Really do appreciate uh, your support each and every week, especially and probably more so during the off-season when there isn't as much Dragons news to talk about. We do really appreciate uh, you fans continuing to, to buy in and invest, invest in the Red V podcast. Gabe Curtis will with the night off uh, this week, but he'll be back next week uh, as we dive through all the latest Dragons news and updates. But before I log off, we do need to announce the Who Am I this week on the Red V podcast. We spoke about this player at the top of the podcast. He was a, a centre winger, uh, born in Camden, New South Wales on the 18th of November 1983. Played 12 games for the Dragons in 2003 and 2004 for a further 48 games for the Raiders between two 2005 and 2007, and 109 games with 36 tries for the London Broncos between 2008 and 2013. He also had a brother that played first grade uh, with him um, at the Dragons, and I think also down at the Canberra Raiders. And if you haven't got it already, our who I for this week is David Howell. Uh, he was only uh, at the Dragons for a little while, uh, but uh, it certainly uh, did make an impact in the uh, early period um, of the of the competition. And uh, yeah, they wanted to have a fair bit of success over in uh, in the UK as well as playing for the Canberra Raiders. So if you're a, a smart cookie, if you're a real history buff on the Dragons, then I reckon yeah, you probably would have bounced on, on that one a little bit earlier on when we talked about it in the podcast. But really enjoying getting to uh, do the Who Am I's helps us reminisce on players uh, that have played a few games for the Dragons, many games for the Dragons, and those uh, those players that have made us fall in love with a club or fall in love with the game. Uh, David Howe, the Who Am I, uh, this week on the Red V Podcast. Myself and Curtis Woodard will be back next week for another jam-packed episode of the Red V Podcast. But until then, stay safe, God bless, and see you next week, Dragon fans. Let's go those mighty Dragons. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.